Welcome to the Barrels and Business Podcast. I am your host, Jade Green, and this is the podcast for beach-loving, barrel-chasing business owners. In the next hour or so, I plan to give you as many tangible tips on how you can grow and build your kick-ass team, scale your business, and live the epic life of your dreams. So stay tuned while myself and my guests bring you all of the best. Oh, thanks. Oh, thanks thanks for making me self-conscious yeah. <laughs> as we start the podcast. Barrels in Business here, Danny from Bay FM Sandpit, Jade Green, Richard Johnson, CEO of Tripodil over here. And um, been looking forward to doing or uh, well, helping out with this podcast for a while because um, it's a really great little bit of um, sort of full circle coming here, sitting here talking to Richard about his current job because he was the guy that gave me my first ever job. Um, I heard I, he pulled you into the back of a van where it, you were like well, loitering down. When the you street. put it put it that way, it, does, it sounds kind of sinister. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like I shouldn't be schools and stuff like that. But this is before yeah. the days of um of sort of LinkedIn and stuff. The, the way to get LinkedIn was somebody to actually physically link you into something. Link exactly. you into something. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. and and I'll just yeah I, I I was skateboarding into town. I'd finished high school and I'd delayed university by a year, and I had to go get a job in a surf shop or a video shop or something. And before I even got into town, the Byron Surf School bus had pulled up in front of me. And I just remember this voice going, Oi, Dan, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. And he goes, fuck that. Get in the van. And um, I just got in. He goes, mate, i got a job for you. How do you feel about surf coaching? Something along those lines. Yeah, exactly. And that started probably... One he of the most um, he would be able to surf. Well, I'm not well, Dan. Yeah, we, we already knew each other. Like surfers, you know, a young grommet cruising through town, cruising through town on a skateboard, and I was down a man. And I thought Dan's the man. Dan's Dan the man. Dan is the man. And so Dan jumped in, and within 15 minutes, he's on the beach, the backpack of girls, helping him onto waves. Natural. Oh, sounds like a the shit job there, Danny. <laughs> and I think it says a bit about Richard that he's somebody that just follows his gut. Follow his instinct, and that's true. If he's, yeah. you know, he doesn't sort of hesitate when, when it comes to solving a, a problem. I think that served me well and served this business well. Actually, that's a very good observation. Actually, just like lean in and go for it. Yeah, don't, don't overthink stuff. Just go for it. You know, if you feel like something instinctively is a good idea, just lean in on it and go hard. And I mean, we will talk a little bit about how we got to where we are sitting in the in the Tripodil offices kind of at the end of a hugely challenging couple of years and looking into the future. But um, so, so Tripodil as itself is, could be considered, um, you know, Australia's biggest package deals company. Is that sort of how you'd sort of oh, place it? Definitely. I think we've been sort of uh, described that way. We're an, out, an outbound uh, package holiday business. Um, we you sell the, bucket list dreams. We sell bucket list dreams at affordable prices. That's sort of the tagline. Um, and like, so we specialise in outbound stuff to, buck, to bucket list destinations. And, um, yeah, in, so we were the guys, I mean, uh, a few years back, and we won't go right back just now, but uh, we were described as the new package holiday kings of Australia because when package holidays were sort of a bit out of fashion. Like Kentucky's, Kentucky's sort of for old people, old isn't it? Buses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's not sort cool. Of, sort of mass travel wasn't cool. Everyone like Airbnb was coming out and all these different ways and you know, bookings.com and Expedia. And you're sort of you're making your own packages, you know, and booking everything yourself. You weren't going to Flight Centre anymore. And so we brought back the package deal, yeah. And, I mean, when you describe yourself as that, it's an interesting time because 
who can describe themselves as anything right now, do you sort of look at your, the way the business was before COVID hit and consider that as where Tripodial is now and just sort of factor this is a glitch in the matrix kind of thing? Or it is a glitch in the matrix. I mean, it is interesting because we have just recently, just this week, picked up where we left off. Literally, as um, you know, some people in the industry had sort of spoken about people in private equity who were sort of examining the tourism sector. What happened is it wasn't a demand crisis, it was a supply crisis. So any time in a business where you've got a supply crisis, you can fix it. Demand crisis are much harder to fix, right? No one wants your product, difficult. Yeah. Everyone wants your product, you can't get your product. That's, a, that's a, an, an easier or a better problem to solve. So it was very much a um, supply crisis. Um, and it was this exceptional moment, like we've, we've, we'd never seen it. Like no, no one thought the world was going to stop. But literally stop. This is, this is okay. So yeah. we've got to a little point in the chat already that I've been very excited about hearing. Just for for you and 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 Norm, who's the um, the co you know the co CEO founder of this business. Do you guys remember that first conversation when you realised the shit had well and truly hit the fan? Yeah, well, I do. I remember in twenty nineteen. Um, we were having, we were just growing, like this was like a rocket ship, this thing, right? It just kept going up to higher and higher altitudes. And we're like, nothing can stop this. It's just like everything we did was working. Every marketing dollar returned 10x. It was just madness, right? And I remember sitting around with Norm. It might have been, we might have been in Bali or maybe somewhere, Sri Lanka or somewhere overseas together. And we had a, a we used to take these managers, um, offshore manager thing meetings, right? Where we take a team, team building. And, yeah, exactly. And, we're having the conversation around it and someone said the only thing that could stop this would be a global <laughs> touch wood he's laughing yeah, <laughs> he's actually said touch that touch wood oh my god three months later four months later the world came to a grinding halt what did you do to that person um it may have been normal <laughs> i can't remember who it was but it was just a bit of banter yeah and i can't we can't recall exactly who it was but it was a bit of banter so this is before like the wuhan and before like the exactly. virus had even come out of the exactly because we'd um, wherever war gained it right we said okay well you know there might be something happening in france or a tidal wave in japan or mm -hmm. there could be things that would be isolated but nothing was going to stop the whole world and we serviced the entire world so something going wrong in japan i just pivot to the us or something right yeah. but this was literally the whole fucking world and so we got because our, our biggest customer cohort was outbound aussies to china right right so we had early intel that things were fucked up in china where from? Do you have like contacts in our on the ground operators in China? Yeah, they weren't saying that there was a um, specifics around that, but we were hearing there was a, like a SARS-like virus going right. around. We thought it might be contained to China, mm -hmm. but I think the speculation was it would have an impact on our operation over there, maybe for a very short period of period of time. Yeah, it wasn't going to be the world's going to stop. You know, we're going to go through this whole madness, this dystopian crisis of the last, you know, 20 months, which is, uh, you know, we're just coming out of now. So, so at what point did the dystopian crisis really kick in and you had to kind of go, well, we're going to have to really trim this down in order to become so a state business? there's a massive scramble that happens, right, where we're, the realisation's dawning by the day, you know, like, so we When is this? This is sort of early sort of Feb, well, Feb 2020. Feb, Feb 2020. So we had a, a manager's offshore plan for Bali in Feb 2020. And so we flew to Bali. The world was still open at that point. But um, 
so we, we got to Bali, but at, even flying over there at the airports, people starting to wear masks, and something was mm. shifting. And we got to Bali, and then we were uh, over there, uh, obviously having this offshore, but also um, going around to different hotels, because we did head contracts at different hotels. And I was starting to say how Chinese are starting to cancel, and they're starting to cancel. There was this real sense that the, that the tide was going out faster than we thought. Um, and it wasn't until we arrived back in Australia, sort of second, third week in Feb, and things were looking gnarly. And uh, oh, we, again, we just thought it was going to be contained to Asia or something. Yeah. And I took off to Fiji to try and say, well, you're going to lose all these customers from Asia. So I thought we'll send all the Aussies to Fiji now. So we, we thought we'd be isolated from it. The world was going to be, in, world was going to be impacted. But we were going to be able to pivot our business and take it. Somewhere. So you're pivoting out of China to Fiji, for example. We've yeah, always been agile. So we thought, you know what, we can just take a, you know, we can sort of um, close up shop over there and then just point out uh, our market over here now. Yeah. So you said before that you had, you've kind of wargamed other situations. So yep. did you have a backup plan for? Okay, well, if we need to quickly pivot, we've got these different areas. This is what we do. Which is the first thing that we went to. Yeah. Right. But then when we realised that sort of the, the doors were slamming shut everywhere, then it became much more tricky, right? And then the crisis went from where can we send our customers to how can we get our customers home? Right. Because they're now offshore everywhere around the world. They're on cruise ships off Italy. <laughs> they're in the deserts of Morocco. They're literally everywhere. And the phone calls are coming in. Yeah. We've got to get home. They're going to close the borders in, in Australia. We're going to get locked out. How do we get home? And... As that was happening, the whole world was shutting down, so flights were getting cancelled and, you know, routes were getting cancelled. And Are there still people out there now on a trip to Hill tour somewhere? Sitting in some room, just shaking, like, weighing, like, yeah. five kilograms, <laughs> just like... Casablanca or something, some <laughs> little shit ticket, Casablanca. Um, no, they were taken off to Essaware, so... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're in agony, yeah, they want to Life's good right now, yeah, exactly. Um, smoking some hash or something yeah. down there on the point. Um... So we had people in various situations. We had people who got on cruise ships um, in, say, Mauritius, and they were halfway between there and Europe, and the world was shutting down. And so, they, and so we didn't know what to do. And so there's a lot of times where we were on the phone to people on crew, on the decks of cruise ships. or You didn't have on people on the, pr- the Princess Mary, was it Princess? Princess? Ruby Princess. Oh. Ruby Princess. Do you have yeah, anyone we, on that? Yeah, we had crazy situations. There's some, a lot of crazy um, stories that came out of it. But we had buses, say, in the north of Italy, of course, that's where the COVID, the second yeah, COVID crisis yeah, was. So yeah. they were saying, well, we, we've got to get out of here. They must have been, people must have been really scared. Yeah, and they closed, the, they closed the road to Rome or something like that. So they're, they're heading out to Slovenia or some other countries to try and get out of there. And literally we had people going to the borders and they were closing borders as buses were getting there and saying, you can't go, so turn back. And so it was really crazy. And we were coordinating this out of our, um, our other meeting room upstairs and it was like a 24-7. It's the sort of stuff that, like, people like UN and, like, diplomats have to do in, like, exactly. war situations. Exactly. You guys don't have the training to be well, we doing that kind of thing. Diplomats talking to us. We had uh, you know, people in um, consulates and stuff around the world. We were talking to airlines trying to get the like, hustle for seats on the airlines and stuff. So there was this intense, probably two-week period where we were literally trying to, like, we had a scoreboard and just was sort of scratching off people who were like, we've got them home, they're coming home, they're coming home. So you weren't even thinking so much about the financial impact on your business at that point. It was that more point, just the, the just taking care of your customers, yeah, getting like customers home. you couldn't even think about the financial impact. The consequences were so huge that you couldn't even think about that. Our first instance was just to get our customers home and try and protect the brand as best we could. Yeah. Talk me through the, the mental fortitude that 
you needed and how more importantly though how did you lead your team and give them that because they probably were feeling responsible freaked out yeah. stressed out there's yeah. not enough hours in the day to, yeah. to do everything what we what i found here and it was interesting it brought out the best in everyone it was a real sense of it was a real sense of excitement almost it was like drama so much drama the whole time <laughs> we had you know world maps up on the thing we were like tracking people out here we had all the like the screens up everywhere tracking flights and routes and all that sort of stuff and we have people who are just literally on phones. We've got a couple of native Italian speakers here. They're talking to people in Italian. She can also speak Spanish and someone can speak French. And we're, like, it's all going on, right? So there was a real sense of camaraderie. And it actually, um, there was a sense, there was actually, we felt all a bit deflated once it was over. Yeah. There were some people who rose up so, they really rose up to the moment so much. Yeah. They couldn't actually reconcile what happens next. Yeah. And, and over a course of the next few months where things, the air came out of the tyre and things really flattened out here, they sort of just drifted away from the business because they, they couldn't, they just reached such a high and they were so invested. Mm-hmm. Like, there was nothing to do. So you, you were ha- having to take people's minds off the fact that they might be losing their jobs in the next few weeks and yeah. keeping them... I mean, yes, there was that. I mean, in the first instance, again, no one knew. We didn't know mm-hmm. the extent of it. We, yeah. we had to get them home, the borders were closing. But we thought that... I don't know, think anyone thought it was going to be this long. Like, two years, yeah. and you know, and you know, all this bullshit which we've had to go through, and mm. you know, all this sort of disconnection from everyone, even in our own communities, right? So we just didn't know any of that. So, um, so there's no thought about that. But what we did do, and I'm proud of this, we actually maintained, you know, at least sixty people here the whole way through COVID mm. on full salaries. Didn't wow. clip, didn't tip them a single cent, you know. Yeah. Um, How did we, you manage to do that? Of that. Well, when you've had a good few years and you're sitting on surplus, you've got to draw down on that, don't you? So we sort of had saved for the, for the rainy rainy day and the rainy day came and we, we were prepared for it. Um, there was redundancies because when you're in a growth business and it's no longer growing, there's certain roles that just don't exist don't anymore. So they, they're, they're sitting there and they were literally voluntarily coming forward going, mate, I've just got just nothing to do now. Yep. It's all over. I'm like, well, yeah, thanks for your service. And mm. it was a real, there was a, a really testing few months for me, for myself and Norm when we were saying goodbye to some people who'd soldiers that carried us the whole way through our business from the start, you know. Mm. And uh, so that was a really big, big sort of emotional um, roller roller coaster for a few weeks there. Was it sort of like see you later rather than goodbye kind of thing though? Um, you know, yeah, they, they'd of... just come forward. They were so gracious and, and you know, and, and, and generous with their praise for us and, and, and for the opportunity we gave them. And it was, you know, it was quite amazing when you have people, they're losing their jobs and they're thanking us. Or, you know, ah, thank you, you know. So that was a proud moment. I think that spoke to the culture of the business at the time. Um, we've got a lot of them back. You know, not all of them because people go off and do their own thing, but a lot of them have come back and um, where we could, we rehired them. Um, and... It's been a very up and down couple of years. Mm. Culture's my jam, so yeah. that's that's my specialty. So can yeah. you go a little bit deeper into what you did to build the culture to get it to that stage where people are thanking you when they're leaving? Just describe the, the build, like, yeah. from... I, I actually was at your old facility. My sister's fiancé helped lay the floor when you guys needed a floor in okay. emergency mode Yeah, right. one time. So yeah, I'd right. been in there when you were in the tiny, okay. yeah, tiny exactly. space. Yeah. Um, what was the journey through through being able to go through that rapid growth? How did you attract people, especially in Byron, and getting them into yeah, a space a, like this and build yeah. a culture where the people are that committed and dedicated? And a real, real challenge to build a business like ours in a town like Byron, very yeah. transient uh, workforce here and things like that. So, mostly speaking, we were just getting anybody, literally anybody, and training them up. 
Yep. So it was when the when the growth was really on, like in the early stages, it was myself and Norm. I was actually living in Bali. Norm was here, um, and I was sort of. I heard you were in a laundry, working in a laundry, laundry for a little laundry, while. Yeah. So <laughs> I pretty much when we first started, um, we had an idea. I was living in Bali at the time. Norm was back here. He was living at Durrabee in a donger. He, not living in a donger. He had a little donger on this thing. And so he set up a little office there and I pushed the washing machine to one side of my thing, put a desk in. And I literally in the laundry, he was in his donger. And we were collaborating. You know, we were exactly split down the middle in the, in the business. I did 50% of the work, he did the other half. And um, even in the early days of customer service, for example, we put on different names and personalities. So we'd answer the phone. And Norm had all these characters. There was a gay, it was a gay Chinese guy living at home with his mum. There was this. <laughs> There's all these different people, right? And so, so not politically correct. Ourselves. Yeah. And so you want to talk to Richard? You have to go through three people to get to me, but it was just me. Really? So to create the illusion of the being bigger than what you stuff, are. Yeah. Exactly. So it was pretty funny. So we had all yeah. these. Because sort of you guys have always things. been, you know, always. Larger than gung ho, like you know, always fake it till you make it, and all that, right? Yeah, you know that, Dan. You've seen our journey, yeah, like you've seen us from a a young age going through the ranks. So, um, started off with that, and so first of all, I guess the sort of the um, the starter culture, the little nugget of sourdough in the beginning was just mine and Norm's friendship because we were best mates before we got into business together. Mm -hmm. So, there was always that natural sort of connection and synergy and banter and fun around the working together because we sort of brought all that to the table and so i think with that starter culture um we attracted people who sort of bought into that little dynamic and so we sort of built outwards from the from that little nucleus and uh started to attract people like this like dan i'm just cruising on the bus and dancing Mm. so but norm's just come out of the chicken coop business and you'd been running a hotel in bali called the island and then so where did you where did the idea to start a a package I heard it started over beers in Bali after your wedding. Exactly. So Norm had been... <laughs> Norm's had been Where all good Bali. ideas start. Yeah. You've been doing your research. Exactly. But that, exactly. <laughs> Before I got here. <laughs> so several beers over several events over... The, like Norm and I, what we had sort of figured out sort of now looking back is we'd sort of been in a business partnership for many years before we became business partners because we had... We were both entrepreneurs, both had our own businesses and he'd look to me for advice and vice versa. So we sort of sounded boards to each other's ideas. There's things I was good at, he was good at. I'd ask him questions, he'd ask me questions, and we sort of collaborated just on our on each other's businesses. Mm-hmm. And so by the time we'd come together, we'd already worked out our strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. But You're the master storyteller. Well, Norm's a fucking great talker too, like an amazing storyteller. He's the salesman, though, isn't he? He's a salesman. <laughs> but, uh, but my background was content, right? So I was good at content, per se. Norm's a great salesman. He can talk the leg off a chair, right? Can't, I mean, Norm Black, holy <laughs> shit. And uh, when I first started thinking about, just prior to that, I was saying to Norm, like, he was always selling little things. I said, just sell big things, do you? You're the best salesman I've ever met. You want to just, you've been selling these little small things, just sell fucking big things, dude. And like, the number's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So Tripodil really was just that. It was just, instead of selling small things, selling small things, he sold big things, and here we are. But um, getting back to the, the start of it, it literally was collaborating on each other's projects. And I had the hotel in Bali. So hard to build a hotel in Bali to mm. begin with, right? Just such a ball ache. You know, you literally make them by hand. You get buckets of concrete, and you know, people literally make it by hand. They pour the concrete and walk down again and get another one. And I actually still owe um, Richard's brother money for my my wedding was at the island. His yes. Uh, you still I, th- I don't know if I. Yeah. Well, it was it debatable <laughs> because. Let's just uh, write that off the table. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for that. 
I mean, we're divorced now anyway, yeah, so, yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. Just I, mean, her. I could maybe exactly. blame the hotel for the, I don't oh. know, wedding going sour. You reckon? Maybe. Good everybody hooked up. Everybody was hooking up at that wedding. That was, it was <laughs> like the yeah, Island Hotel. Yeah, it was like Love Island. Love Island. It was. It was a version of Love Island. It was like they were there. So bottom line, you know, a very long story short, Basically, you know, how do you scale a hotel? Well, you can't keep making hotels. You've got to just be the guy that sells the beds to the hotels, right? Yeah. So we've got to get out of this space and get into the online space where Expedia and um, hotel bookers and Hostel World and all these things. So we thought we're going to be a bit more of that. And so that started the conversation and then he went home and we started kept talking about it and Tripodil sort of came out of that conversation. And you started off like sort of just selling, like buying bulk amounts of like kayaks, like the well kayak tours and, you know. Prior to that we did... Um, just villa nights in Bali, because I was in Bali. Yeah. Right? And then Norm was back here, though, because he was in Backpacker World in Byron Bay. And Curtis, so how, does, how does Curtis fit into it? Because I know he was... He, 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 he came in later. Right. right? But, so, so Norm was back here hustling for any local products, which are kayaks and um, uh, mountain bike trips and ho- nights in the hostels and mm-hmm. skydiving. And I'm hustling for villa nights and surf lessons in Legion. Mm. So it's a combination. It was just really us hunting around the areas that we're in for product and putting it on a website and trying to sell it. Pretty basic. Yep. Um, and start so, somewhere as though. you get as you get going in these things, as any entrepreneur will tell you, you sort of you just keep trying to improve your idea, right? You keep making mistakes and trying to work out where you went wrong and make it a little bit better. And I think Tripodil is just a classic example of just ideating one little okay idea and making it into a really good idea. What was the dream though? So when you're starting to bring on people what were you? What did you want Tripodil to be? Again, as an in the entrepreneurial sort of um, headspace, you just want to. You're basically hustling for money, really. You just want to find a, a way to maximise the idea that you've got, reach the fullest potential of it. So you don't really have an end goal in mind. You're just hustling and growing and just feeding off the energy and the momentum and the growth. And so we never really sat down and went, okay, we want to take it from A to B. We just wanted to keep just keep. Raising the altitude. What was it you could see though in like consumer kind of consumer habits that made you think that this is something that's going to become something that everybody's going to want to be a part of? Like, what was it that could you see it ha- happening around it's just you? Test and measure, isn't it? So you have one product that does a certain thing and sort of resonates with a certain amount of people, and go, hmm, this one looks pretty good. Let's just invest a bit more. Let's see if we can do a bit more of that. And so you sort of test that a bit more and go, okay, that's sort of. Ma- uh, sort of that, that sort of hit a dead end down here, so we could only maximise it to that mm. sort of size. But then you say, let's try this product, and so you start to just get a f- sense for where the opportunities are just by testing. Yeah, it's pretty basic. Shit. Well, you're having to put like so. To say if you're buying like a whole bunch of cruise ship spots, is there a big outlay though before you actually sell those packages? Is there a fair bit of risk involved in that there this kind risk, of business? Yeah, there's always there's heaps of risk, right? Um, in any small business, there's risk, but when you're trying to take a small business make it into a big business taking lots of risk and I think that the greatest sort of um, singular element of our partnership between myself and Norm is that we're both in for the risk right he was never trying to stop me and I'm never trying to stop him so we were sort of encouraging each other to take more risk and I think that was the that was the superpower that we had that most people don't have they usually have someone with the brakes going no don't do that or you know being careful there was no there was no care at all it was just go for it what gave you your risk appetite? If you think um, back, many, so obviously you've heard you've had surf shops, you've had uh, surfing yeah, coach lessons, you've had magazines. Yeah, so, obviously an entrepreneur through and through. But 
is there any defining moment, even as a child, like that you remember that gave you your appetite for risk or, or yeah. formed you into someone that's willing to just... I think that sort of being a surfer, I think there's... Uh, there's a little bit of risk involved. Not like you like a bit of risk. You like you sort of get excited by risk, don't you? Advent- it's the adventure and the, the unknown. All that. Not so knowing what's sort of, that's in our DNA. So we've sort of we've been almost um, designed or sort of brought up growing up in Byron Bay in this area. And you're from Evans to sort of take risk and seek adventure. So we're sort of of that mindset anyway, right? So for me, I was just trying to hustle to go surfing, really, and mm. to I travelled. So and that there's an element of risk just built into that. And you never knew where your next meal was coming from, right? So you're overseas and you're just trying to work out where the fuck am I going to feed myself or get from A to B and like, yeah. a little hustle, let's do a little hustle here. So you're not, you're not really, you're never really safe. So you don't sort of fear risk because it's just every day. And, and it's a counterculture thing, isn't it? So, you know, surfing magazines and all that, everything by the surf culture is counterculture. And that was what makes you believe that you can live outside of the matrix, not have a nine to five job. Correct. Because Correct. if you have a nine to five job, you can't take off. Safe. Safe. Yeah, it's, it's too safe. safe. Who wants to be safe? And so, like, there's no safety. Um, they're, like, they're, there's no safety on it. Like, you know, with a gun, with a safety, they just you don't have one. He's got live rounds the whole the whole time. You're walking around ready to go. So, I think that um, that's where the risk, that's where the capacity or the um, yeah the capacity to to take risk came from. Mm-hmm. And then. If you have never worked for anyone and you've got nothing to lose, you just keep taking risks, right? But if you've had a very sort of um, curated life, been in a very narrow path, and you sort of built up this asset base slowly but surely, you don't risk any of it, right? It's just been too much effort to get there. Just had nothing. So just keep rolling the dice for double six. Surely it's going to come up soon. So how does it feel then when all the world stops spinning and you've got... This is a pretty big facility that you've got yep. here now, yep. your own, and yep. you've got the responsibility of how many staff at that time? 100 and 110 something? at that point, yeah. Yep. The writing was on the wall, basically. We thought the writing was on the wall. But then, so that was part of us. You're going to go, the writing's on the wall here, but it is what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you, you win some, you lose some, you know. And that's still that mindset you've carried through, even though it's, you've built up a big business here. And there's a lot of value and wealth in this now, so, you know, you don't want to lose it, but... Yeah, I think, and my wife said it to me too, I know Norm and his wife felt the same way, when you come from nothing, you can, you're comfortable with nothing. So if yeah. it goes back to nothing, I'm just back to where I started. And I've lived in that space for most of my life, so if I just go back to running a house and stuff, it will, so do you. Do you think that's what allowed you to keep your, your cool and your exactly. calm and yeah, not exactly. completely mud down? Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, not to, I know a number of uh, entrepreneurs around here that turned to the bag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And then just unraveled them completely. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know the same guys, probably. <laughs> I think you, yeah, yeah, I think you know what I want. But, I mean, as an entrepreneur, Triple Deal is, uh, like, the, the a success that's come from, from mixed results in other businesses. So I'm curious a little bit about, about Rome Free because that was – a business that was heading to where Triple Deal possibly is now. In the in the backpacker field, you you had a magazine, you had a product that was designed like a frequent flyer, like yeah, a loyalty card. card. Yeah, yeah. But it kind of came about at a bit of an awkward time when things were all going online and people were moving exactly. away from physical. Exactly. So it was. Yeah. Um, it was a timing thing, Dan. But that was a great test run. Yeah. So you didn't did feel like that was a failure. That was just a um, education. Exactly. I mean, you can't, you cannot look at them as failures. Like they're opportunities to learn. If you think them as failures, then just give up. Go get a job, nine to five. Be safe. Pay your mortgage. Yeah. Don't take any risks because that's what that's like. You're wired that way. But if you say, "Geez, I learned so much through that," and I did, right? There was things I did in that business 
that I'd never done before. Like I'd had, I'd been owner operator, and here I had like a board of directors, and there was compliance, and there was a accounting department, and there was all sorts of shit going on, right? They had um, tax advisors and legal advisors. Holy fuck, what is all this stuff, right? Mm. And so you learn on the fly, right? But so yeah, it sort of it, it adds in all that all the that all that extra layer of stuff that you need to have if you're going to make a successful business. You just can't have good ideas and be good communicator. You've got to have a bit more than that. But you did make the decision in that business to kind of cut your losses and bail out of it, whereas with Tripodil and COVID, you've decided to hang in there. Yeah. So what was it that, that made you make that decision in Rome Free that this is, doesn't have a future, that I'm, we're going yeah, to... Yeah, I gonna just think you could, you could see the writing was on the wall. And like you say, it was a timing thing, Dan. I think you were right. I think we were in the wrong place at the wrong time. If we'd been a few years earlier, we probably would have got the traction and it did get a bit of momentum, but I think we could see that we'd missed the mark slightly. Just like, you know, like a sliding doors moment. We weren't far off it, but we just missed it. And so I thought, and so I think that the the collective um, who was who were part of that project just knew it. You sort of sensed it, right? So it was like, okay, time to move on. Um, and I think, again, it's those instincts when you work for yourself, when you're an entrepreneur, and you've sort of, which you build up over the years, you, you, like, you know when to hold them, you know when to hold mm. So, Jade, you as a business coach, have you had to have that kind of conversation with some people uh, about their businesses, about, you know, the sliding doors moment, you know? I think I had to have the conversation with myself a few years ago. Um, <laughs> well, running a recruitment firm with investors, wearing a pinstripe suit, three-piece pinstripe suit every day in Sydney, and, you know, we're, recruitment's pretty boom. But it was more of the moment for me. My sliding door was like, do I keep down this path and end up a burnt-out mess that has millions of dollars or do I flick the, the three-piece and chain it in for a wetsuit and yeah. come back to my roots and yeah. mm. follow what I... Th- I was trying to squash a square peg in a round hole for me. I was trying to use the recruitment firm as a vehicle to drive change for people and culture and create happier workplaces and, and consult on that side of things. But only getting paid as a recruiter and kind of going, well, everything's a grind. Like, why don't people fucking get it? And it was like, right, it's either burn the boats or... Yeah. And, and I think that's their point. If you're trying to put a round peg in a square hole, you're just, you're just going about, like, you're in the wrong place. Yeah. Move on. I mean, is there a bit of a catch-22 because we're talking about, like, creating these businesses as part of the hustle so that we can live that surf lifestyle and not be tied down to anything? But now you're a guy who was responsible for 110 employees and bricks yeah. and mortar and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So has, is there somewhere as a two-edged sword that you've kind of – you've achieved <laughs> what you wanted sure. but your board shorts are a bit, you know, a bit drier yeah, sure. than they should be? It's that old sort of um, uh, story, isn't it, where they talk about the guy that was fishing. The Mexican. Sort of, yeah, exactly. And he ends up with the whole fishing fleet and he never goes fishing, you know. And he ends up <laughs> doing the whole thing so he can just go back, get his line, go down the beach and fish again, you know. Yeah. Like, and it's a bit like that. Um, but you sort of get excited or you sort of get committed just to realising the fullest potential of your idea, right? And if you feel like there's still more to go, you've got to yeah. – just to, it just would feel wrong and incomplete if you didn't go all the way. You go all the way. So I'm just taking it all the way. So, yeah, go. Tell me what the biggest learning from Rome Free was. So from that process of going, yeah, do you know what? Just we've got to kill this. What's yeah. the biggest lesson that you took out of that experience? And, it, and maybe – how could you advise someone else that's maybe on that tipping point right now? I think we got we overcomplicated things, simplify stuff. If you can't really like, and it was always hard to explain what Rome Free, even you then and me talking to you, it's like hard to really encapsulate what the offering was. It's a bit complicated, maybe. It's a bit complicated, exactly. Mm. And I think I've, I realise, and, and Norm has been really good for me over the 
during our partnership here, who's had a very simple approach to business, and I've sort of tried to learn from that. Mm-hmm. And the more you simplify your offering, if you can, you should be able to sit down with someone and in ten seconds tell them exactly what the offer is, mm. and have, have a re- make a really compelling case for why you've got a great service or product that people want. If yeah. you can't do that, you've got a mm. you've got a business that that's not going to work. It's just not going to go the distance because mm-hmm. you just don't have the energy to keep. Like, it's sort of like this, but it's a bit like that. Actually, can I rephrase it? So you uh, like explain that? it to like yeah. an eight-year-old. Was exactly. it like you know you should be able to explain it to? Is it was only talking to an eight-year-old? Yeah, isn't it? That, that's kind of how it yeah. works. And if you can you know explain something as though you're talking to an eight, an eight-year-old child would understand it, then you've got a, a, a product. A, a product yeah. All the great products in the world, you could do that with all of them. Yeah, Literally all of them. So I think that's the thing I learned to not overcomplicate things, simplify things, and there's real beauty and elegance and intelligence. In, in things that are really simple. I'm talking, we, yeah. we often don't think that oh, it's, it's just too simple. We think, oh, the complex things are really tricky and clever and they're just fucked up and no one well, understands them I and it takes you away from where you really, really want to be. So I think I see a lot with people, they, if it's too simple, they think they're not trying hard enough. Exactly. Or they didn't earn it enough. Like yeah. it's, If it's too easy or it's too simple, then they, they must be missing something. Yeah, you can solve a complex problem with a simple solution. There's no problems about that. You can you can identify something complex and find a simple and elegant way to fix it or, or to make it make it better. That's genius. That is there. But if you try and take something simple and then complicate it, no one's going to bite off the other. Yeah. Well, making a white hide for no reason. Exactly. Also, like it's such a, the, obviously the the industry you've, you've chosen is a real cutthroat one, and I kind of sort of noticed just you know reading newspapers, the the copycats kind of coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. With and it seemed like who it was just like reading like say the Sydney Morning Herald or whatever it was like who could get that full page ad in exactly and and do you, do you remember like reading like the seeing all these full page ads for like Triple Deal and then there was like everybody seemed to be sort of starting their own us, yeah, yeah. yeah did you I guess they say we, it's the we, greatest we, form of flattery but must yeah. be pretty annoying as well I need that right whereas again we thought let's let's, let's not go in half assed here we're gonna put an ad in the paper let's put a big ad in the paper yeah and grab a lot of Attention and eyeballs. Can you go back a step on that? Because I did do my homework. But I just walk through for the listeners how you decided when and when everyone else was going online and everyone started advertising on Facebook, yeah, yeah. you made a, a, a very clear decision yeah. to throw your cash at print. Exactly. And that was kind of back then it was kind of like, no no, print's dying. Exactly. No one does print. Yeah. No, that's right. Can you just walk through why you made that choice, how you made that decision and then when you went all in. Again, I think it goes back to thing that back to that idea of simplifying things, right? So we just looked at our market and thought, well, who's buying our product? And so we put ourselves in the shoes of our customers and we feel like they were, um, as it turns out, and we didn't pitch it this way, it sort of evolved this way, but the baby boomers were the people most likely to want to buy a package holiday outbound to these bucket list destinations that we were selling, uh, mm-hmm. sending them to. Um, and they had, the, they had the most amount of time on their hands. They could travel out of season. It just made sense, right? So yeah. there's no point trying to pitch a, um, a product like that to a, to, a, to a market like a cohort like that in Facebook and other places, which are not going to get that reach and, uh, and connection. So we thought, what do they do? They read the paper. And Norm just said, you know, we should advertise in the paper because old people still go down to a paper shop on Saturday morning and say, and buy the paper. And I thought, well, that's a pretty simple concept. Let's do it. Yeah. And so a guy rang us up from one of the papers and sort of, uh, you know, um, by coincidence just pitched us on putting an ad in the paper said, right, we'll do it. It, it made sense to us. And um, having said that, the first six of, you know, eight times we tried to do it, it failed. Mm-hmm. 
but it was something innate in us that thought, no, this is the right strategy. So we just kept chasing that and chasing that. And by about the eighth, ninth ad, it finally took, and the rest is history. But it's expensive. It takes a bit of capital to do that. So can we talk a little bit about how sort of Curtis came into the business and he helped? Uh, yeah, well, Curtis was a um, investor. Uh, he came into the business at a time when um, yeah, we were looking to grow the business. And... Uh, I mean, Kurt had been involved in some other things that I'd been involved in over the years. And uh, um, so I said to him, look, we're looking for some capital. Do you want to put some in? He said, yeah, sure. It wasn't very much at the time, but um, we were going to use it on some print advertising, right? Because we thought we've got to keep sort of chasing this um, concept. Go hard or go home, really? Exactly. But as it turned out, so we were really drawing down on our bank balance and getting really close to the edge. Um, and then the ad took, right? So yeah. just as wow. Kurt was getting involved... It started to work, right? So it took a I big gamble, maybe, though. I think it was more the um, the idea that we had the capital coming in gave us that courage to keep chasing the concept, it. right? Harder, and so and then it all landed, and Kurt landed as the business was growing. And yeah, I just go back a step because I think the the key lesson for a lot of the listeners is you really went through and went, who is our customer right now? Not who do we think our customer is. It's like who's our customer? Exactly. The baby boomers, and that's who we should double down on because exactly. of these reasons. Exactly. And then really put yourself in their shoes in terms of knowing your avatar. What what do they do? What's their behaviour? Where do they actually commit to time? I think it's like then they were starting to use Facebook, but yeah. it wasn't where they were choosing to make buying decisions, no, was it? Correct. That's right. Like you, you, you really did, from my understanding, get into the weeds of what do they do? What do they think when they're in... In those different things. When exactly. they're in Facebook, are they there to no, pay attention to with friends things? and stuff like that. Scrolling photos yep. of their mates' holidays or something. Yep. Things like that, you know. So but when they're reading a paper, they're used to... That's they used they to go the there to get decisions it. were coming yeah. out of that paper, exactly. Yeah. And I think that, that, that sort of speaks to that philosophy of keeping it simple. Like, really thinking through it. Like, even what I use here, these terms like avatar and stuff. Like, who's their customer avatar? And they've got... People got, like, you know... Things of like one guy with a little goatee, and there's some old lady with blue hair, and there's some sort of hippie dude, and they're all our avatars. <laughs> 10,000 avatars. We speculate about all their things that they are, their yeah. attributions and shit like that. Their behaviour. Like, yeah. really overcomplicated with it all. Yeah. Who, well, who are they? Yeah. Who are they exactly? And for us, they were like like an everyday Aussie, 50, 50 plus, like his, like his footy, mm. like people that we knew, that we'd seen. Oh, and I guess the headspace when you're reading a newspaper is like. Can grab one of those? Yeah, because. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'll go. I'll, I'll, I'll just segue into it. I think that was it. Yeah, just yeah. keeping it simple and just like anecdotally, just like testing your ideas, like going down to the paper shop and watching the old people pick up the paper. Yeah, and and having um having Tripadil plastered on a number of sporting teams, did that was that another kind of double down sort of thing? Because I mean, that's a it's a huge outlay to sponsor a football team. Were you already when you when you started doing that? Was it was it St George or Manly or the Titans? We the first one, the Titans. The Titans. And then we moved to St George and then. And that's because you yeah, and Norm's, they're yours and Norm's team. Yeah. So what's your team? I'm not saying that out loud. <laughs> they're not my team anymore. But they are definitely the mortal enemy of Manly. Yeah, but I used, to, <laughs> I used to play touch for Manly, so I, I used to crush my soul putting on that full city. Well, not east, south. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah, we don't like to admit that in public anymore. No, no, okay. Yeah, um, there was this one time they asked me to be on the board. My lawyer oh, was like, Parramatta. run, run. He's like, you are it's not. It's a basket case down, down yeah. at Parra. But so the footy was interesting. So they came to us to begin with. Right. Um, the Titans came to us. Um, and I don't know exactly how they... They must have just had a, um, a business... I'll go grab a Titans jersey and bring it over, shall I? They had a business development guide. Um, grab not that one. No, not that one. 
the next yeah, one over. One. Yeah, no. that one. Yeah, 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 that'll do. One of those. Yep. Got to get the big name across the back of it. Exactly. Or well, this one here, the that one's a good one. I'll, uh, anyway, no, that one's that one's fine. Triple deal. So, so what switch year was this? Um, well, the first year was that one up there. See the and dare I say it, the Jared Hayne. Oh God, number six. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's where it all started. Um, but just to go back from that a little bit, so like they came to us. So we got they got some guy, business development guy, who's sort of trolling through businesses he can ring up to see if they want to, you know, put a logo on the shorts or put a sign up at the footy and. They, they came down here to Byron Bay and, uh, um, and pitched myself and Ollie. We're rugby league lovers, you know, we're everyday Aussie blokes. Um, and I think when they came to pitch us on it, they said, okay, you know, back of the jersey. And because we'd grown up watching rugby league, we realised that was a perfect, another perfect opportunity to speak to our customers because mm. they're watching footy. We know that on a Friday. I'm watching yeah. footy, they're watching footy. And we know that that is sort of part of the working class Australian culture and so we thought you know what better place to place our logo to sort of double down and sort of um, to, to to reaffirm our, um, our our print media spend yeah. on the back of a jersey and as you know uh, growing up in, in in australia we sort of almost remember our football teams by their sponsors oh well that was 100%. the normal team in 1987 oh, it's the per tech eels are you kidding the me Eels, you know? <laughs> and if there's something yeah. about deep in your psyche that sort of sort of stays stays with you yeah. and so um we knew that the originally we were the Hardys, Parramatta. Yeah, I've still Hardys. got. I've well, still Hardys got was great. Right, the eighties. Yeah, 80, I've still 80, got 80, one of those jerseys. Back to back to yeah. back. Um, <laughs> it's like a trust, isn't it? <laughs> it was a three peat, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. 83, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so the, the the brand rides the success of the football team in, in that way, doesn't it? And so you're kind of like not just barracking your football team, you're, you're, the brand is riding their success. So if they make it to the finals, then you've yeah, made exactly. the finals. Well, that's a secondary thing, but you're right. But what you do is you get a like, – there's some sort of trust that gets built of yeah. a brand that's on the back of a football jersey. Like you're not a fly-by-nighter. Yeah, if you're, you're, a, you're a real jersey, deal. You're a real Australian brand at that point, yeah. right? Um, and so, you know, bearing in mind prior to us going on the football jerseys, Norm and I sponsored the – 2016 Rio Olympics. What? As one, we were the, one of the major sponsors of that. That's just fucking total madness. <laughs> but they pitched wow. us. We went, yeah, right, I will do that. So it was McDonald's, Toyota. Yeah, I remember that. Toyota, I remember and, seeing and, and you guys up on the... Jesus. And so, but these are sort of things where we went, okay, well, that's, everyone watches that, don't they? And it, it's only once every four years. So we, so we, we better have a swing at it now. Because we will miss it till 2020. And we just got pitched on. That was a thing which every Aussie's going to watch. We thought, fuck yeah, that's what a great way to get our brand out there. So we'd always put ourselves in the shoe of the And consumer. again, though, that's, that's again knowing your audience. So who watches the Olympics? Exactly. Who watches the football? Everyday Aussies. And it, it is um, trust by association. Yeah. So like I said, like your audience loves their football team and they love them exactly. to death. Exactly. And so if you're, if you're on their jersey, you're my people. You're part of the family yeah. at that point. Exactly. Yeah. And what's kind of funny, the coincidence, you loving Parramatta and Tribadil being instrumental in bringing Jared Hayne from Parramatta to the Titans. Oh, we, we brought him from San Francisco to the Titans. Right. From the 49ers. And My sprint coach is the one that got him into the NFL. Roger. Roger. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Oh, well, he's famous. That's a small world. Yeah, yeah well. So yeah. You, used to, you used to sprint, did you? Uh, no, I used to play football. Okay. So I started a gridiron league. Once. Oh, did you? Yeah, because okay. girls couldn't play gridiron in Australia, so okay, we thought we'd start a league. Wow. Not the lingerie um, one. 
I'm not answering that. Um, <laughs> well, I'd but, like you to. But, but, but Roger, Roger was not happy on a Saturday and you weren't allowed to go home until someone spewed. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, right. <laughs> what about when the scandal... So, say, obviously, the Jared Haynes scandal... <laughs> Roger's yeah. in the middle of all the scandals. Yeah, yeah. He's had Kilcarney... Well, yeah. Does that... Does that... Does that... Does that, does, a bit of, does a bit of splatter land on Tripodil in that situation? No, look, we had... We went through some ups and downs with some football players. Well, we had that thing with the Dragons last year. You know, Jack DeBellin... Um, you know, he had yeah. all those problems that he had. Um, uh, the Titans in that first year, there was a lot of contra- controversy around Jared, had the problems with the coach. There was lots of things. There was that drug scandal. There's all sorts of shit that happens, right? It's funny how the public don't associate what the, the behaviour of the players to the brand. Like there's something um, sort of solid and, and good about sponsoring the football team, like you're doing yeah. something for the community. And really, the players are the outliers. So there's no real no no risk in that way. Damage, really. No. Although there's everyone's contract says you can get out of the deal if, if someone they, if they fuck with your brand too much. Yeah. But we were always of the opinion that we can't. We're not going to we're not going to pin it on the on the on the club just because a player does something stupid. Mm. And so we always supported the clubs mm. through all these things. And Norm's been very vocal in the paper in, in terms of. Um, some of the problems at the Titans and problems at St. Saint, Saint George, he gets out in the paper and says, no, no, no we're, we're, we're going to back Jack DeBellin or we're going to back this or back that. And mm. no, I think it's been proved to be a quite a good tactic for us. I think what you said there about the, the general punter, though, looks at someone who sponsors a football team as sponsoring the community. Exactly. And I think that goes back to a lot, like one of my um, big clients at the moment, one of our core things is we, f- we sponsor different types of football teams, but it's to give back to the community. Exactly. And we're looking at the bigger players, but I think it is from grassroots level. You, you remember being a kid, exactly. and you remember how much mm. you appreciated the exactly. local business sponsoring oh, your footy club. It's true. And these big clubs have big grassroots investments in their like community. So the Titans do some great stuff around this area with disabled mm-hmm. footballers and um, all school communities and indigenous communities. Mainly do a lot of stuff with that, as do the Dragons. And during the fires down south, the Dragons were really active in the in the during in the in the south coast community um distributing groceries and money and all sorts of things to the community there so you get you don't see lots of that stuff all the good stuff that they do in the community it really it really um, t- it really has traction and the community um, understand it and recognize mm. it so you get the advantage of all that just to get a little bit internal here to, to be someone who's a ceo of a company that's sponsoring multiple football teams and the olympics there there has to be a, a part of you is there a part of you that, that starts doubting whether you are someone who can be a CEO of a company that size doing that kind of thing? Or have you always felt that no. within you on a certain intrinsic level that's what you're meant to be doing? Um, that's a good question. I think you, you're, never, you're never prepared. Like it, we've, well, we've had no training to do this, right? So we're just learning as we go. And um, is there, there's, no, there's no self-doubt, but there's certainly an awareness that you lack experience in certain areas or you, know, you, you lack understanding of certain things. And so I think if you have that awareness, you can sort of um, mitigate that by hiring good people who can sort of fill in those gaps for you. So um, rather than think or pretend you can do it all, you, you admit completely you can't do it all and you start getting the good people in and say, mm, okay, you're okay. the finance guy, you're the HR girl, can you help me do this? I know I've got to do it, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And so I think we've been, we've been very good at delegating that in terms of lo- not having the ego to think where we know everything. There's certain yeah. things we're good at and we tend to lean into those areas, but a lot of it we sort of um, farm out to other, other people, more experienced people. 
Talk to me about the how you get that you've got the awareness. Great. What sort of books or mentors have you had to help you grow into the CEO that you are today? Mm, that's a good question too. I um, there's certain people that you sort of run into in your journey. You know, we've been lucky to be exposed to a few very successful people um, just by our association. Our association, for example, with News Corp. So we get invited to events and stuff like that. I mean, Norm and I have found ourselves at at the Murdoch's house at Christmas time, and you know, talking, you know, shaking hands with the PM and the treasurer, and you know, Harvey, <laughs> wow. uh, Jerry, Jerry Harvey, or whatever. Right? Not bad from a surf coach bum from Byron. Yeah, exactly. So, and I think in that you sort of you sort of glean um, sort of ideas and uh, glean uh, little hacks that they've come up with or whatever, just through conversation with those people. Um, I had Norm on Mark Boris's. Yeah, Norm knows on Mark Brought yeah. thing. I think yeah. that uh, so we started. We have been exposed to a lot of interesting and successful people, and and, and just through um, the process of symbiosis, you sort of start to understand how they do things and sort of learn from that. Um, well, I think all the great teachers are just people in the community, people that you know. You know, they, they're not necessarily successful people. They're just you know they're old surf coaches, they're business coaches, they're um, the guy down the coffee shop. I just try and learn from everyone. Is there a common trait though in, in these people that you that you respect and that you look up to? What is there a common sort of trait that you look for in someone to work with in a business or as an employee? Well, the people that catch my attention and like sort of I sort of remember things that they say or, or, or just things that they do are people that sort of are um, a bit outside the box, a bit like running their own race a bit. I think I, I, mm. I like people who are always challenging conventions and things like that. I sort of tend to gravitate towards those people. And I think that... Risk takers? That, they're, they're risk takers, but a lot of the time they're just... They're sort of... They are uh, sort of very unorthodox people and they... Um, and all the great people, the successful people, tend to run their own race. They're not really trying to copy or follow trends. They're not... At all. And, if, you know, if we think about the great entrepreneurs in the world or businessmen, they all drop out of college, don't they? And they've all got a story they told when they started in the garage or they were at Stanford and they just mm. like Stanford, I'm going to go start my own business and the guys from Google or whatever. Battlers, Aussie battlers. Kind of, they're always a bit outside, they're a bit unorthodox, they're a bit outside the system and they're a bit outside the common framework. It goes back to that idea of the counterculture. This exactly. Mm. And so we were, perfectly, we, were, we were perfectly sort of manufactured to be good in that space. And to resonate with those sorts of people, mm. I think that's why when we go to events like we do, those guys resonate with us too. They're like, "Oh, we like these guys. They're like these guys from Bond. They're drawn to you. They're different, and we're all different." I think but the, the gift, thing. the gift of the gab that you and Norm both have, is it? Is that a gift? Do you think it's something that that's just that's been there, or is that something that's also can be kind of learned and developed? Well, you've got it, Dan. <laughs> in some ways, but I don't know. You're a, you're a communicator. That's I don't know how I don't know how I'd feel about talk like you know being Dude, at Christmas with Rupert Murdoch and those kind of guys. Though. I think so. What it comes down right. to? <laughs> oh, thanks. And like what what the what the hack? But the secret is just to be authentic. If you be yourself, people just go fuck. That guy's really interesting. Mm. Just being himself. Like so, you know, don't go in a situation and try and be something that you aren't, or try and pretend to be someone that. That you are. Well, you don't be the gay Chinese man living in his house. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you're on the phone and you're trying to start a business up, but exactly. So I think if, if you're authentic, everyone wants to listen. Yeah. And if you're not authentic, no one wants to listen. So it's really simple. Be yourself. And there's always going to be haters. Have you had, you know, um, people that have sort of dropped away out of your life because they've seen you maybe – do they? some people think that you've sold out into the, the corporate world? None that I really know of, but I bet None you None that he are. cares about. Yeah. <laughs> A, I, I don't care. 
because because you can't care. You can only like you just put your best foot forward, be the best person you can be. If people hate you, they hate you. If they love you, they love you. Like you. But you've got to think about that. the character of that person. If exactly, like I know, like you know, because so, it's all be poppy right? syndrome. You know, exactly. that's a big part of business so, in Australia is dealing with that. I, I reckon. Yeah. And so the general public who don't know you might have a certain perception of you. And you, like, you can't change that, so there's no point worrying about it. If you came to me down and gave me some feedback, I'd probably take it on board, right? But if someone, like a stranger in the street, I just don't care. Mm. So I think like, um, old mate giving me a spray for the, for the sound quality. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to do a workout yeah, plenty. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, thanks for the feedback. <laughs> I think if you can sort of maintain that, then, um, yeah, I'm sure there's haters out there. I'm sure, like, in Australia, we don't celebrate success very well here. No. And you want to bring back people back to the pack rather than sort of lift them up. Yeah. But um, cut down that tall poppy. And, and as a company, it sounds like the way you dealt with the the pandemic when it struck was was like you went all out for your customers, and that yeah. you and and do you sort of feel now that you've ridden through that, and that you ha- the brand tripper deal is still carrying, you know, We've done um, pretty well. Like everyone, all the travel brands inflicted some damage on the way through, right? Because people had some bad experiences that were out of our control. Completely right. Yeah, you wear the brunt, but it's like yeah. And I've had a few letters from people and things like that, and you know we've had to, you know, respond to some people who aren't happy, right? And some people you won't make happy, right? Because they want to blame COVID on us, dude. I just didn't. They want no. They just want to blame someone. I didn't eat the bat in Wuhan. The the Karens. You know, or fuck the monkey in Africa. (laughs) You can't blame me. All the Karens of the world trying to micromanage everything. Certain percentage of those people out there that we know right now in this last couple of years has really brought that out in, in some people. So they're there. But by and large, we sailed through it on the back of being honest people, authentic people, having integrity and really trying to put ourselves in their position and where we can, giving them the best possible outcome. It's not always the optimum outcome, but the best one we can do. And I think by by and large, the community, our the Tripodil community feel that we've done that. So Just on that, let's circle back. You've, you had 60 people that you managed to keep on full salary. Yep. During this time, not a great deal of travel going on in the world. Yeah. What the fuck were they doing? <laughs> Solving problems still. Well, we were, we're in crisis. So the crisis starts at the start mm-hmm. when like Wuhan and, and all that stuff happens <laughs> and they close the borders. And the crisis continues for us for two years because people were due to travel in March, April, May, June, July. Yeah. So I'm refunding credits, uh, trying, to, trying to unravel. I don't think all I even chased up my credits. Right? <laughs> Which is great, right? Because. I paid for a whole. I've got a. An amazing villa on the cliff at Bingen in Bali that I paid full. Paid it's probably still for. waiting for you, sister. Yep, <laughs> to you run a workshop. And there's a lot of trust and travel too. So we had like credits sitting out there, operators overseas who can't give us the money back because they've made commitments to other hotels. And so there's this sort of supply chain, data chain of trust, right? That goes back right. two years now. We're trying yeah. to make good on all these promises. So managing all those relationships, which has been good for us because we had. Because of who we are, we've maintained great relationships and now we're starting to resell. We're selling them back to Turkey and back to Greece and back to Italy where these credits are now. Mm. And so our customers can go right back where they were, pick up where we left off and it's all good. So it's, we've been in crisis management for two years. Is it, two does it take, it, take its, you know, not, the not knowing of when it's going to end and, and all of that and the crisis management, I mean, it must really kind of take its toll, like showing up for work every day and rather than making money, you're, you're cancelling trips. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and especially when you put all the effort into selling that thing, then you've got to give it all back, right? But there's no <laughs> accounting for all the cost and stuff that you incurred just to try and just make to money get in the first place and then to give it back. Yeah. You're losing twice. Were, were you angry? Was it, were you angry at, any, at, at anything? Angry at God? 
Why have you done this to me? <laughs> the government. Have you been I angry at the government over this? I, I, I was angry at the government, definitely. Definitely. I think the way the government's handled it has been... Um, it's been such a mixed messaging. It's been really hard in the business to, to sort of plan anything, right? And Travel Web really had it tough, right? Because I think when I say I'm angry with the government, I'm just angry with some of the policy changes that happened with the borders closing and opening and closing and opening and closing and the data changing. And the narrative just all over the shop. So... We'd be told, we'd be sort of um, encouraged to sell domestic holidays, but then they'd shut the Queensland border and they'd yep. shut the WA border and they'd reopen the border and they'd shut the border and we're like, fuck, what is going on? Yeah. Here? So there's been a lot there. of frustration there um, and I think that could have been handled better. Um, but it is what it is. I think we've learned a lot from this as far as our federation's concerned and all that sort of stuff. Um, but as far as being angry at the world, I mean, Dan, I've got a beautiful wife, you know her. I've got four beautiful kids. Got a house on the beach in Byron Bay. During lockdown, I was surfing the past. The bank was epic. It's hard to be angry. It's hard to just go, fuck my lot in life. You know what I mean? I've already done really well. And if I look back of the guy who's prepared to have nothing, was, was happy with nothing, I've got fucking everything. So I thought, okay, I can't, can't, be, I can't be mad at, mad at God. So you never, you never had a sense of entitlement. It's not like it came with a silver spoon in your mouth. No. came with a block of wax in your pocket. It's easy coming. And that's it, yeah. It's not easy come, but it's easy go. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, can I circle us back to your team um, and the culture that you've built? What's you, you talked about? I, I hire the people that are basically what it encapsulated for me was Branson's methodology of hire people smarter than me and let them yep. do their job. Yep. Walk me through some of your hiring policies and procedures. How do you find those right people? Yeah. How do you convince them to come on board? Um, and you said because yeah. just before this, you said we're starting to hire again. How do you convince people to come into travel now? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it's, it's not easy. Um, I think we've built up a good reputation over the years. Um, and Tripodil is a, like, it's a household brand, pretty much. Um, so we've got better at hiring people because there's more um, people interested in working in a business like ours. So as the, as the company profile goes up, so does your capacity to hire. Pandemic has not been good. It's not been good. If you've got a job, if you're a business analyst and you're working for the bank right now, you're not probably thinking about switching up to travel, right? Because <laughs> travel is very unpredictable, right? It's a rollercoaster ride yeah. waiting to happen. But, um, but we have had um, success in two ways. We either hire people based on the type of people that they are. Yeah. So we, we, we hire on personality, personal attributes, characteristics, because you know that you represent all the good things that we know we can shape. And you're going to be ex- really excellent in that sort of um, task that we need you to do. Um, but there are sort of as you grow bigger. Do you want um, a beer, Richard? Sure, I'll have one. I'll have a stone of wood. Do you want a fizz, Jay? No, I'm good. I'm I'm just on the back of uh, my six weeks solid. Oh, I'll have my a stone rules of wood in down. place. And maybe I have a stone of wood. Maybe you could kill the AC on freezing over there. Cold. I, I'm okay. always cold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love this. It's usually on Fridays we do barrels, of business, and beers. Yeah. So it's actually a segment we do. Okay. <laughs> so getting back to that, so but obviously as you get bigger and it gets more serious, you need some more serious people in your business. Yeah. So we've recently hired, like, yeah, and, and you, these are people who, who have to come with qualification, mm. have to come with a resume uh, that tells you they can do the job you, you need them to do. So these are, you know, key finance roles, key technical roles. Uh, you, just, you can't just make those people. Yeah. You've, got to, you've got to buy those people. So. Yeah, because um, it, you don't have the time to train for the skill. No, exactly. Yeah. 
Um, whereas in the past, we're back in the old office, we're hustling, we're making things up as we go along, we're making up personalities on the phone and things like that. Right? <laughs> At that point, you're hiring anyone. Yeah. And you're hiring them. We just need someone else with an accent that doesn't sound like me. <laughs> exactly. I just need another body in that seat, and you've got to do these three things. Yeah. Did you actually hire a, a gay Chinese yeah. man in the end just to. Um, in case just to keep the no, no, process Norm, going. Norm is still dreaming of that day. <laughs> he really wants to get the gay Asian gentleman to come and work for us. So, fingers crossed, one day. Actually, it's, it's interesting. Like you've got big shoes to fill, yeah, buddy. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, China, like, it's interesting what you're saying. China um, is such a big part of your business, sending. Um, is it sending people to China or Chinese people no, here? Sending, sending people, people to China. China. Yeah, outbound. outbound travel. Yeah, so have you had to kind of learn a lot about. The, the way that Ch- Chinese kind of operates and the, the their kind of government and sort of have you had to kind of insert yourself yeah. into their... In all the countries you do that, we have ground operations in several countries and when I say we have ground operations, we are the ground operator in those countries. Yeah. We're, not, we're not just outsourcing it. We've got people, people on the ground. ground. Yeah. Um, and so you have to learn how, to, how these things operate in those places and there are nuances for different jurisdictions, different countries, different cultures... Um, but by and large, we sort of go through a process of, um, you know, test and measure all the time and land on some good people in those places and then we just really um, concentrate all our, all our business into those single, singular operators and say, so, yeah. hey, instead of having uh, a bunch of different businesses sending you business... Your so there's always cowboys in the in the tourism world, even like around here. You've got a whole bunch of different. Growing up, there was always I'm not going to name names, but there was always the, the the surf school that was like the cowboy surf school. You know, the the boards were always hanging off the back of the trailer and leg ropes yeah, yeah, dangling yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, they would no, cut price and insurance or any shit like that. Who cares? Yeah. So I mean, quality control of the of the product is obviously paramount in a yeah. business like Tripadil. Yeah. I mean, so how do you go about knowing for sure that you've picked a product that Oh, well, is one gonna, of the, yeah, one yeah. of the good parts of the job is you go there. We go to Greece and we go, to, we go meet the guy and we go to the hotels and we, you know, we, yeah. we actually do, do those things. Because so, um, so you're, you're not just putting people in the, you know, like how there's those package deals where you, you, you think it looks great on the paper and then you get there and you're in some sort of X kind of dormitory or something on a um, bunk bed. There has been things like that, but out of our control. But um, as it, like that was in the early days, as we got better, we don't obviously don't do that because I don't think you, you've got to you've got to really nurture and preserve your brand. You've got to really cherish it and keep it, you know, in in its optimum. You know, polish it all day long and make sure everyone loves your brand. And if you don't, if you have to have experiences like that, it just tarnishes it. And over time, the the air comes out of the tire and. I just can't sell shit for China now. Talk about your your branding. Like, if you're going to advise other business owners on how to build a brand, what what things do they need to think about? And like, how do you decide? How do you protect it? How do you decide the tone? What sort of steps have you done to do that? Yeah, I mean, we've had we've got a fairly decent sized marketing team and had sort of various agencies over the years run their eye over things and things like that. But again, it's just Work out who your customer is and just gear everything to sort of serve them, to speak to them and to resonate with them, you know. And I think right from the aesthetic through to the sort of um, just your core principles, yeah. have to just always sort of come back to that, come back to the customer. So, um, you know, we settled, we, we actually went away as a management group after three or four years of being in business and thought, fuck, we've got to work out what we stand for. Like, what do we stand for? Like, we don't know. We're just like hustlers and we're, <laughs> we're, we're from Byron and we're, 
like, what else does this all mean? So we yeah. went away as a group and actually went through a process to try and identify what those things are. Walk me through that because that's something that I do with clients, yep. specifically for building culture now, but yep. breaking down what those core principles are. Walk, walk yeah. us through what you did and how does that play out and is it still the same now as then um, or has it evolved? It, it's, we sort of said, like, well, what we, we, we went to Queenstown yeah, and we took a business coach with us or yep. a facilitator. And went through these exercises where, you know, you, you know, I don't know, the word association game. Yeah. We go through word personality yep. traits and things like yep. that and uh, talk about our stories and talk about our, you know, our personal stories and how we got there and what we believe makes our business great. And sort of um, after a while you sort of, you sort of get that big mound of clay and you start to, you know, whittle it down to some sort of shape, a manageable shape. And I think you land on those things that really just resonated with all of us, which we could say, hey, you know, these are, these are things that define who we are, and this is our sort of promise to our customer. And mm-hmm. um, I think once you land on those things, it's sort of a, it's an, an organic process. But once you've landed on, you know, you're there, sort of thing. Yep. Yeah. How many were in the management team at that time? About ten. Yeah. Yeah. Decent sized group to yeah. collaborate exactly. with, and very different personalities. Uh huh. Yeah. Talk us through. What are some of those core principles now and how, is it, how important is it to you in running the business, selecting your people, deciding who you're going to partner with? Yep. What, what level of integration is there? Yeah, um, there's a fair bit of, I mean, like, first of all, our first, you know, sort of our true north, our guiding principle is anything is possible. So you've got you to believe that. If you can't, can't believe in that, then don't come in because we, we, we're, we're ambitious and we're, we came from a little little office in Byron Bay, and we're trying to take on the world. So if you can't believe anything's possible, you don't belong here at Triple And I think that's the, that's the essence, that's the DNA of any entrepreneurial endeavour. So we, we invite people into the business who sort of encapsulate that, for starters. Yeah. Um, so they need to have a real growth mindset. They need to be able to dream exactly. big. Exactly. And if they're one of those people that don't sit be, inside a box or yeah. like, that's not my job, then they're not, not really. I mean, there's obviously people inside your box jobs here now because you need people inside a box job. But they're still, we want them to think that anything's possible and we want them to believe that's the truth, right? Or, you know, that's... Um, we walk our own path and shoes are optional. I think that's a good one. I love that. You know, it's a really nice one. <laughs> you know? I like how he's and got I, no like, shoes you know, on. Yeah. I'm yep. in bare feet most of the time here. Well, I have to I'm wear shoes because otherwise I wouldn't be matchy-matchy with all the stuff. So, exactly. You know. I'm sort of I didn't paint my toenails. So. No one around here for not wearing shoes to work. Um, and our, sort of the ethos around that is walk your own path. Shoes are optional. Um... And if you can get around, if you can get around without shoes, you, then you're really excellent at what you do. No one's fucking, no one gives mm-hmm. a fuck what's on your feet if you're really good at what you do, right? Yeah, and my business coach it's has actually, my shoes. It's actually great, good on you, because you're you're the best of the best. Yeah, wear whatever you want, you know. And so if you encapsulate that, and also just speaks to that thing what what, what I uh, spoke about earlier when we talk about um, resonating with those outliers, those unorthodox people, you know, walk your own path. Don't, don't, don't let me tell you what to do. Wear what you want to wear. Bring your best self to work each day. Be authentic. Mm-hmm. And I think if you get those people together, oh, that's where the magic is. I must say, just sort of sitting here after like two years of crisis management and putting out fires and, and all that, like you seem very like like you, you, you haven't – it doesn't feel like – Not rattled at all. Not rattled. Like you, you, you should be at your wit's end no, after, di- after doing this. No, we're empowered. Mm. We're good to go, mate. You know what I mean? Like if, it, if this can't fucking kill us. What can? Nothing can. If you can't have a global pandemic, that's it. In a travel business, yeah. where your yeah. your product is contraband, yeah. it would have been easier just to import cocaine and sell it. 
Yeah. They're so travel. It would be fucking easier. Like Sunday. I'm right, right. Like, yeah, yeah. The market, yeah, was, yeah. The market was there. <laughs> demand was there. I heard the market Supply was might have been a problem, but demand was there. Yeah. But you know what I mean? So we're thinking, if this can't kill us, shit, we're fucking good, aren't we? We are really resilient. It's like, what is it, job job, job in the Bible or whatever, where it's just like, um, wasn't yeah. he the dude in the Bible where just God just kept on testing him? Yeah, the patience of Job, mate. Yeah, pa- and just everything, yeah, everything went wrong, and his crops died and all this, and he was just like, well, there's a plan for me, there's got to be a... A plan was it? Is it? I mean, I don't. I don't really feel like there's much re- kind of religious element kind of to to your story, but there must have been something that you drew strength from. Was yeah. it, like you said, your family and and just being more grateful for everything you grateful. have. Gratitude, being grateful, exactly. And I think if you've got gratitude, exactly. If you're grateful mm. for the things you got in life, then you're pretty bullet, bulletproof, aren't you? I, I think that's you know, one of the things that I've really seen in the business owners that haven't lost their shit during this process because pretty much everyone's been affected. Yeah. I've got a couple of I've got a couple of clients that COVID's been the best thing ever for. Yeah. Um and a couple that didn't think about it at the time. It was really tough and, and yeah. because of the pivots we've been able to make has made a difference. But if I look at the common thread through each of them and what kept them not going off the deep end or thrown in the towel, it's that they they sat in that gratitude and went, even if even if everything goes tits up, I've still got this Many of them are actually surfers. Many of them yeah. are like, uh, exactly. If all goes to shit, I'll mm. just go surfing more. Literally, that's the fallback <laughs> position for every surf on the planet. My marriage goes to shit. My business goes to yeah. shit. If everything goes to shit. I'm just going to go. Well, that's how I end up surfing. Be so I'm going to be okay. Yeah, I that's true. I stopped surfing for 17 years. Yeah. Marriage went to shit, and I was straight back surfing. into wetsuit. Exactly. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? It's like the ultimate mm. fallback position. The ultimate, like you can't fuck with this because they're surfing. It's not going to feed your kids, though, is it? Though. No, no, exactly. You're not going to feed your kids. It's things aren't quite quite the same as when we first met. You know, well, you've like got I don't have any feed, any mouse, any feed any so mouths to feed. I've got four kids to feed. Yeah, yeah. and a How certain old are they? yeah, uh, two through nine. Oh, okay, yeah, you can't really put them to work. Two, five, seven, nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah you probably um, still need to feed them once. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, can we just before we sort of I guess wrap things up? So, looking ahead into the future, like you said, it's an interesting kind of we, we kind of caught you at an interesting time where you are really going from that sort of crisis management into like forward planning yep. um so i mean how much can you actually forward plan at the moment and how big do you ha- how much of a resurgence is there going to be do you think over the next few years so in travel tidal wave, right? when, you know when it, the tide goes out so far and go, what the fuck's happening at the beach here we just the water's gone out that fucking far, tsunami right? right it's a tsunami coming back at us mate and we and we know that the tide has turned mm. we can see the tsunami inching towards us and it's just going to you know, flood the whole country <laughs> sort of thing so um, so we How know do you it's coming. Ready for that? Yeah, we're just scrambling right now. Mm-hmm. It's all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's like that day in Thailand where the tide went out. Everyone's just on the beach quietly playing and shit like that. It's just weird. The tides went out a long way. Oh, shit. Like, no one, we're, we're, the, we're the people scrambling in the background, knowing that it's mm-hmm. a tsunami. We're yelling tsunami. No one's really because there must be lots of so holes in the out. market as well. Because I mean, obviously Byron has like been the backpack of town since day dot. And you look around. There's no, there's no backpacker travel places anymore. No. Hostels are all closed up. Yep. So, I mean, if, not not just from a tributal point of view. Like, it's going to be interesting to see like how those holes are filled. Like, exactly. you know, like uh, uh, there's people like you know Al Royale who's like you know closed up all his travel bug shops, etc. Yep. And yep. Um, I mean, a triple deal going to try and fill some of those gaps, or I mean, is attempting um, to kind of like become more than just you know the the, the baby boomer travel people, but. To be the backpacker travel. Um, um, look, there's definitely some opportunities in terms of there's people out there brand brand swapping right now. So mm-hmm. um, it's a bit of a fresh start. A few of our competitors have been s- swept away. <laughs> tsunami. 
That's yeah, right. Um, on the way out, when the tsunami was going the other way, um, and so they have to survive. So there is opportunity for us. Yeah, definitely. I think um, we we expect to get a bigger market share coming forwards because we're one of the few brands that have come through this. Um, it's only the majors are left now in the travel business. Yeah. Um, we're, we're one of uh, those. So we feel like there's good opportunity going forward, and we're um, very optimistic about that. Um, I do feel sorry for those bricks and mortar travel businesses and those mums and dads who have businesses who've fallen by the wayside. It, it gives me no pleasure to think I'm going to take their business, but I will take their business. How tempting is it, though, for what, what Danny was just saying, then, to diversify your branding? Like, Are you going to stay in the lane of the baby boomers and where you're known for and where you've built that brand, or are you going to pick there's up more, some of yeah, those other areas? Look, there's definitely more Do you do it yet. under the same brand, or do you do a spin-off? Or oh, we've had what's your thoughts around that? plenty of discussions about that. Yeah. Um, during COVID, we were, during certain periods of time, able to pivot domestically. We, we yeah. built up quite a meaningful domestic business. And bearing in mind, pre-COVID, we were like 5% domestic. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we built up a business that was nearly all domestic. Um, and that attracted a new cohort of customers, a, a much younger yep. customer. Mm. So our database has changed. It's sort of the profile, the demographics of our mm-hmm. uh, database has changed. And so we have an opportunity now to go after some other... Like to, to, to lean in some different markets. Yeah. Um, and so baby boomers are our sort of bread and bread and butter, but there's certainly a lot of room to go for, like, um, you know, luxury escape style uh, resort packages and things like that, which we have done in the past, but we're going to do more of going forward. What about first. surf trips? Surf trips, uh, surfers are shit customers. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's happening every penny yeah. they Yeah, exactly, yeah. They would Dan live out of a board bag. Bali and he'll, you know... He'll eat bunkus and he hides his own motorbike right. and he knows exactly where to go. And you do have the luxury, you do have the high ends. Yeah. <laughs> there's a secret market, like the podcast is called Barrels and Business. Yeah. Um, and I, I had a dream of doing some uh, travel goods designed for the travelling entrepreneurs because yeah. for me, I was, up until COVID, I was travelling all the time, living out of a board bag, trying yeah. to pack. Like I've been presenting on a stage in Estonia yeah. and I'd be dragging a surfboard bag with yeah. a skateboard tape yeah. to the outside yeah. of it yeah. trying to get my suit in there yeah. and everything. Yeah. Yeah. But there, I think there is that, uh, uh, even your brother the other day when I was saying I'm going to organise a business trip that's on a boat and the mentalities and like... We yeah, he's like, that's that the only chance that he's got of going on surf trips is if it is somehow connected right. to the business. But, yeah. And then there's more <laughs> people out there. <laughs> I'm in, I'm in for that, right? Yeah. It's just not a very scalable, big, big market. It's a niche product, and, yeah. and certainly you'd sell that. But we've got big dreams, big ambitions. We've got to grab as much market share as we can, so we've got to go after big tranches of customers. Yeah. And so things like that are a bit more niche and probably don't suit this business model, mm-hmm. but they're certainly prolific and lucrative for yeah. other people. Is there a chance of, like, pulling the trigger too soon in these kind of situations, and, and, and how do you make that call? Um as far as outlaying, you know, big money He's on... the risk man. Yeah. Like, all the data says, mate, like, we've sort of put our finger to the wind. We've licked our finger put it to the wind. It has changed direction right now. Yeah. And we are going for it right now. Yeah. Well, Bali wants us back. Everybody wants, you know... I mean, who's not going to want a holiday? Uh, Who the fuck is not going to want a holiday? <laughs> yeah. Can anyone can everyone afford a holiday right now? Though? Uh, they've been sitting on their They've savings. been saving it. They can't go anywhere and spend their money. Yeah. The Those COVID disaster up. grants. You think so? In a way, the government's basically they value it more. They're willing to spend yeah. more because they don't. Because I think people's appetite is to, to spend more on an experience. Because they'll, now they're like, oh, what if this happens again? Yeah, I'm we, happy we to realize, throw some cash exactly. at it. We realize in case it's the only chance we can't take it for granted. I'm yeah. traveling next year if I can, yeah. and at every opportunity I can. Yeah. Because yeah. if they do this again, you know, like it, 
Yeah, and some of these older people, they're like they've only got limited travelling years left, mate. They yeah. want to make. Yeah. Every Are you going to specifically market to to that sort of um, narrative? Are you, are you sort of going to actually like say in big letters, you know, <laughs> COVID's over, get on a plane, or like yeah, you know, yeah, like. Yeah. Is that part of the marketing strategy? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a whole FOMO thing going on out there. Don't miss out. Like, you missed out for two years because we closed the borders. Now you might miss out because you can't get a ticket. Because you can't get a ticket. Right? Yeah. Literally, yeah. that's what's happening. Yeah. There's that many people trying to get on planes and go to these places. We're already selling out of stuff in the end of 22, 23. People, going, people want to travel. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's innate in the Australian culture. Well, most audience. people, most people haven't seen travel. half of, of, like, anything... Australia, like they haven't been to any of the major landmarks in Australia, no, yeah. but they've been to they've backpacked all over Europe exactly. and they've been halfway through South America, but they've never been to Ayers Rock, they've been to Kakadu. Exactly, <laughs> and we sold a bit of that. Yeah. But the tyranny of distance says we've got to get back out there. We've got to get back out there. So. Yeah. yeah, let's just hope there's no more um, accidents in labs in China or, <laughs> you know, I mean, exactly. is there any kind of devil like, uh, like sort of devil on your devil's advocate, playing the devil's advocate, something else that could really go wrong and, and really impact your business? Anything's possible, man, now. Yeah. I take nothing for granted. You've still got to just plough ahead regardless. You've got to enjoy these moments when they're, when they're here now, I think. We're going to live in the moment a, a little bit more. The knee's been on the throat for a couple of years, right? The knee's off the throat for a bit. Take a few so where are you? You're going to get yourself... <laughs> you're, the, you're one of the first people that are going to be getting on a, on a plane? Um... No, I won't be um, the first people I'm sure, like, what about, what about getting back to the, you know, Charlie wants to get back to the UK? Hey? Heading back to, to the UK? Um, if I was to go anywhere, um, and I'm in no huge rush, I'll wait for that first wave to get out there and see what happens and test all so You're happy to stand on the sidelines? Like that, yeah. Yeah, I've done a lot of travelling in my life. But shouldn't, shouldn't the CEO, shouldn't the... The CEO of Tripoli will be the first person to get out there and see that it's safe. Yeah, check me that and it's. Alan Joyce, <laughs> me and Alan Joyce and Norman Black and our travel CEOs, yeah, Randall Deer and uh, Graham Turner. All the together. Yeah. yeah. On a private. Just company. to check oh, that it's all yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, look, I, I've got a, a great um, product partner, a partner of ours who handles all their uh, European stuff, mm-hmm. and he's Greek, and he just he's just been desperate for us to get over there. Like, dude, you've got to come to Greece, and I, that sounds pretty I, good to me. I, uh, I booked uh, flights to Greece. I was <laughs> ended up in <laughs> ended up in Paris. Okay. Uh, la, la, last minute trip to Paris. Yeah, yeah. Jumped on a, okay, yeah. jumped on a uh, train and ended up in Paris after Tomorrowland. Yeah. And thought, oh yeah, been dying to go to Greece. Yeah. Let's let's do it. So we we get on and we book our flights and then we open up Facebook and Athens is burning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I don't think anyone's giving our money back now. No, like, Athens is burning. Yeah. Yeah, Athens last was, summer, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it yeah. was literally, it was a couple of summers ago. A couple of summers ago. Well, yeah. the last summer before you could, you could travel, we couldn't yeah. travel. Yeah, yeah. And literally, Crete was on fire. Athens yeah. was on fire. Everything was on fire. I was yeah. like, we literally just paid for our flights. We're like, no one, no one is going to give us back our money on this because we're yeah. idiots. Well, so, <laughs> so that's for me, Dan. I mean, obviously, we want to go surfing places, you know, Indo, you know, you want to get it. Oh, speaking of FOMO, what about the people that ended up being stuck over in Indo during the pandemic? Oh, it's just, it's just, just killed me to see what was going on over there in the Mentawis of like three people in the water. I nearly got stuck in Bali. I had to make a call. I didn't have a home. Everything was starting to close. My sister's like, you can't get on that plane. Where were you? I was, uh, I was here in, in, on the Gold Coast. Yeah. And I was booked to do uh, a week in Kuala Lumpur. Yeah. 
um, to run a culture session for Mount, for Mind Valley. Then I was going to Bali. I was running a business accelerator yep. uh, near Karamis yep. uh, for two weeks, speaking at Bali Spirit Fest, and then running um, workshops for Freedom yep. X Fest. So I was yep. due to be in Bali till then, and then come back. I was home for four weeks, and then I was due to go in via Cuba for a quick ten days. Then run a business course in Costa Rica, and then off to Amsterdam. So I didn't have a home. Fucking hell! Yeah, yeah, definitely. To run a to do seminars on personal growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And my sister's like, "Do you know they're talking about like you have to quarantine if you come back? You don't have a home. Where are you going to quarantine?" I'm like, "Well, that's a good point." And she's like, "And Bali's talking about shutting their borders. So if you get to KL and you can't get into Bali and you can't come home, I'm like." I'm not getting stuck in KL. No, no, I'm That's sure going to suck. Yeah. And she's like, why don't you just go straight to Bali? Mm. And I was like, and then I was like, oh, no, I don't want to be stuck in, in Bali if I can't get be back. Stuck in Bali, don't you? <laughs> uh, all my well, friends. Not maybe all my during friends the pandemic. Like, We're stuck in Bali. Yeah, and yeah. they live at Ulu's yeah. and they're like, swell well, of the century's coming yeah, through. Yeah, missed out. <laughs> <laughs> my friends are sending me pictures from Commune because I always pretty much lived at Commune when I was there. And they're like, okay, Karamis, yeah, yeah. 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 And they're like, look where we are. It's about that time time of year too, isn't it, Dan? What's it? October. It's late season. There'll be no one there. Well, there'll be literally no one there right now. But well, yeah. I mean, be- pr- prior to COVID, time. like surf trips have become such a nightmare because everybody's surfing now. You know, yeah. like Brazil, like this. You know, the the Brazilian Russians, storm. Russians. You know, oh, Russians, Russians just oh, taking over Changu and, and that. Russians you know? and you're, you're fighting an Austrian for a wave. Yeah. Shouldn't even be able to surf. Yeah. Like, I can't believe you can fucking swim. Yeah. And yet you're like, it's like eight foot and you're like, like hassling me. And then, yeah, the pandemic was a rewind, like living in Byron too, just, you know, getting the town back as well, you know, just having, I mean, the, the Everybody yeah. decided to go back to surfing during the pandemic. Like, oh. what was the pass like? Just the most crowd I've ever seen. Oh, oh. I, I was living in, so when this happened, I managed to manifest an amazing place on the beach in Palmy, right oh. in front of the reef. Yeah, right. But every day, like, it was just like ants. Yeah. Like where it used to be, you, you go out and it'd be like three or four of your it's, friends. and It's definitely more crowded during lockdowns. And like lockdowns are, uh, when lockdowns are over, we're more spread out. Yeah. Yeah. It's less crowded. Like lockdowns create crowds. It's yeah. Well, I guess the ocean's just one of the only places where you just feel truly like, you know, you're, you're completely excluded from government policy and everything. You know, exactly. it's like there are no, you, you can't really do much. To, to kind of restrict people's movements when they're in the surf, when they're in the ocean, you know. Yeah. That's, that's where you can truly be free. It's pure freedom. Exactly. It's, exactly. The, it's the dream. You're right. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's been so good talking to you, Richard. And it's such a great... Um, Finally, we've got here. Yeah. <laughs> we can't get locked yeah. out. Yeah. So <laughs> it's inspiring to see how you have maintained such a high sort of staff number through the last couple of years, oh, maintained positivity. Yeah, and you deserve all the future successes that are going to come now from hanging in there and maintaining that belief in yourself. Your yeah, way. good karma. Well, there's a big wave coming, so let's ride it back in, eh? You can hear the storm building outside as well. We're heading to a La Nina summer, so we're going to get cyclones. Unreal. And, um, yeah. Good times are coming, finally. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, for all of us. So. It's been awesome meeting you and seeing you, brother. Absolutely. No, well, thanks for giving me that first job and pulling me into the van. And the sli- that was a, the, 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 the door sliding open from the van was my sliding door moment because the cult, speaking of culture and just, just to wrap things up, there's the, the surf, Richard's um, influence, among others, in this surf school I was at created this culture of being part of something that you felt like you were 
not just on a team, but you're in a family and you had these elders to look up to and they'll bring in, you know, Richard and Sheep and Mason were bringing in the younger crew, the younger the younger surf coaches and it was just like it was a culture of development and and sharing of wisdom and an excitement and planning surf trips together and having backpackers being part of that in the barbecues on the weekends and yeah. it was like no, i think some of the energy still resonates here mate but that's kind of what drives this joint too you know what i mean like it's sort of there's little residual elements of that that just sort of resonate through here too that vibration was created and it it's still going, Dan. It's, well, still, it's who you are at the core. Still traveling. Feeling of belonging. That's all you want. That's all you want out of life is to feel like you belong somewhere. Yeah. And if you can, you can have that where you work, then you know you, yeah, that that's something that is a part of you. You know, you belong yeah. somewhere. That's the number one thing that I talk to with company owners trying to build culture. Is the key thing is if well, if you even spell the word culture right, the first first of all. Four letters spell cult. And what what is the main reason why people join cult is because they feel like they belong. And so if you can create a company where there is a sense of belonging, that you were talking about the stand fors and stand against, like where people have a common um, belief system, a common something that they're working for, they feel like they're they're knitted together and they they truly can be authentic and they can be themselves and feel like they belong, then... As long as they don't have to have sex with um, the guru. Well, Weinstein's ruined that for everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Barrels and Business podcast. If you are ready to build your kick-ass team, you're looking to scale your business, or you just want ways that you can get wet more often, Make sure you head on over and connect with us at barrelsandbusiness.com. Actually, while you're at it, why don't you just hit subscribe wherever you are watching and listening to the podcast right now. I'll see you guys on the next episode.